everybody, and welcome to another episode of My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Lee Byron. Lee, you want to say hi? Hello, everybody. Now, we've had you on JavaScript Jabber twice. Uh, we had you on to talk about GraphQL uh, back in 2015 and Immutable JS in 2016. We should get you back on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a while. Yeah, it has. Um, but yeah, do you want to just briefly let people know who you are, where you're working, what you're working on these days, that kind of stuff? Sure. So these days I work at Robinhood, which is a financial services company uh, where I help lead web engineering. And, but before this, I worked at Facebook for about 10 years and worked on a lot of things at Facebook. Um, started there as a product designer, ended up getting into engineering, um, built a lot of the mobile web and mobile apps uh, and then ended up building a lot of technology around how to build products, including GraphQL, Mutable.js, early contributor to React.js, Jest, uh, and a lot of those projects that come out of Facebook. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Nice. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting to watch the, the stuff coming out of Facebook. Um, especially, we started a React podcast last year, so um, it's been interesting to, you know, kind of get a little bit closer look at, at some of the ecosystem there, so... Yeah, it's amazing. So uh, I, I'm a little curious, you know, what, what was it about Robinhood that made you want to switch? Well, it was a, a handful of things. Um, you know, I've been at Facebook for a really long time, 10 years. Um, you know, that's like forever in developer years. It's, it's forever in the tech industry. And, uh, you know, I, I really liked uh, everything that I got to do at Facebook. But um, I, I kind of grew up in my career at the same time that Facebook grew up as a company. Mm -hmm. And... At a moment between projects, I kind of looked up and realized that we were in the tens of thousands of employees and the sort of relative impact that I could have um, just wasn't the same as when I originally joined Facebook, which company was closer to 400 people when I first joined. Mm -hmm. And uh, I kind of really missed that. And right. so I wanted to find a company that was at kind of a similar phase as to what Facebook was when I, when I first joined there. Um, but of course, now I have the, the benefit of, of 10 years of experience. So uh, it's a totally different ride the second time through. Uh, but why Robinhood in particular? I mean, I'm, I've always been really interested in, in financial services in general. And I'm, I'm kind of that weird nerd who always has Excel sheets for, for everything. Nerd. Uh, and I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then I, uh, you know, I, I really identified with their mission. Um, I can remember being super frustrated with basically every other financial service out there and how they sort of nickel and dime you all the way. Right. Uh, and Robinhood's whole basis of like democratizing access. Um, I think it's just super timely and it's something that I really, it got me excited. Um, and that was sort of a, a, a hard criteria for wherever I ended up next. I wanted to have a, 
a mission that I agreed with that was beyond the immediate product. Like I, I I talked to a lot of companies who I felt like their, their mission really was only put in place sort of after the fact. And it Mm -hmm. ultimately boiled down to here's an, here's the reason why we ended up building this product. And and really what we're here to do is make a better and better version of the product that we already built. Right. Uh, So another kind of thing I was looking for was a company that had really clear daylight between what they had built and their mission of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that certainly was true for Robinhood. I think the product that they built so far of, you know, free stock trades and, and even crypto launched um, just about a year ago is they're awesome products, but there's a huge way to go between that and democratizing access to the financial system. Um, and that gap to me sounded like potential impact. Um, So sort of a combination of all those things and then sort of the people, you know, you just spend your day with Mm -hmm. all these people. And I was super impressed with the team um, and they're extremely friendly and yeah, just, uh, it felt like a right fit. Good deal. Yeah. I've been a working on a book um, on how to get a developer job that you'll love. And then the other thing with this is it's just a recurring theme on the show, right? Is figure out what you want, figure out what will make you happy and it seems like you kind of, you know, you picked your head up at Facebook and realized that there might be a better situation for you. Not that Facebook was a bad situation, but more that, you know, it's like, you know, where I'm at now, personally and professionally, I kind of want something a little bit different. And yeah, so you, exactly. you, went, you went for it and you found it. And and I just encourage people to do it. You know, uh, the the industry has so many opportunities out there. You can probably find something that will fit you fairly well. Totally. And it's not easy. I mean, it, I remember it being kind of scary when I decided it was time to go and mm-hmm. sort of giving up a good thing feels really hard to do um, in the sense that, you know, what if none of my knowledge transfers outside of Facebook? Right. What would that be like? Or what if I don't like anything as much as I, I liked the job mm-hmm. that I had at Facebook? Um, I had a ton of fears, but, you know, sometimes you guys got to got to jump. And uh, the thing that kind of keeps me going and, and the moments where I've always been happiest in my career is when I'm learning something new. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of at that edge where I kind of know what I'm doing, but I kind of don't know what I'm doing. Right. And um, I, I just, every time I'm there, I feel really great. And I, I got so deep into what I was doing at Facebook that I felt like I just, I was missing that for a while. Um, and I, I don't really know that much about finance. So I've been learning a ton um, and it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, I just, I love hearing that. And yeah, you know, it's scary. There's some risk involved, but I've, I've found that every time that I've taken the leap, I wind up in a place better better than where I started. So. Yep. All right, well, let's, let's kind of uh, back up a little bit and do uh, the interview that I normally do. And that is, um, let's, let's rewind to the point where you got into programming. How did you get into programming? I was trying to think about that. Um before I hopped on the call of exactly when that moment was, because I think there's like a couple different points that I could pick Mm -hmm. out. So I think like maybe the very earliest was when I was maybe in like second or third grade, my dad brought a computer home from work because his company was going to let him work from home. It was this giant machine that like took up like half the (laughs) office in our basement. Um, And it ran MS DOS, um, and I, I still like one of my earliest memories is of the set of sticky notes stuck to the beige 13 inch 400 pound monitor 
-hmm. of all the various commands that I would need to type um, in order to do things that, you know, like a, an eight-year-old wants to do. So insert the, you know, five-inch floppy into disk B and then type these commands verbatim. Um, and so I got by with that for a little while. And then eventually I started poking around and I started learning sort of the, what DOS lets you do and you can kind of explore the terminal mm -hmm. and you can look for programs. And I found basic. Um, and then I, I found a book at my school's library about how to program in a basic. And, uh, I can remember typing in really simple programs and getting them to work and just feeling like I had made something. Mm -hmm. And I've just been like chasing that vibe ever since. Um, right. and I can remember trying to copy the, like, Oh, here's how to make like a computer game in the back of the book is like copy this in. And I would sit there as like a nine year old trying to copy line by line um, and then run it. And it never worked. Like I always like right. had a typo somewhere and I never got that thing to work. And of course I never realized at like age nine that you could save and like go back and work on something <laughs> later. So like when I was done, I would just turn off the computer and then all the, uh, everything would be lost. Right. Uh, and the next day I'd turn it back on again and start from scratch, which is kind of brutal, but um, it was also kind of fun that you could kind of never get stuck. You were always doing something new. So I've always been the person who I just, I just love making things. I love understanding how things work. I take things apart and I, I don't just put them back together. I put them back together into some crazy thing that uh, is a crappier version of whatever I started with that does something totally different. Right. Uh, and I've always wanted to do that with computers. So I think that was like the very beginning. And then I just sort of picked up all the little bits and pieces along the way as I was trying to make stuff. Yeah, that's just amazing. And it's funny because you know, I was 20, what, like 25 when I really started taking programming seriously. I mean, I'd done some before and I took some classes in college, but it was when I started building a system that actually did something right. It's like, oh, wow, I can make something that means something, you know, I can, I can make it do something that that's important. And yeah, it's, it's that discovery, right? It's that yeah. connection to Oh, I accomplished something. Oh, this is really neat. Oh, I didn't know I could do this. Yeah. And I, I kind of accidentally got into the internet. Like, it's not like I saw web pages and like, I want to make those. Um, I always wanted to make video games or yeah. sort of, I wanted to make experiences. And so the two sort of technologies I ended up chasing were um, a friend of mine gave me a copy of PageMaker. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. And PageMaker you have screens and you can draw something on each screen and then you can kind of select buttons and then have the button take you to a different screen. So like that's, right. that's like how a choose your own adventure book works. So I was like drawing really terrible choose your own adventure book awesome. style game. And the output was HTML files with image maps. Uh, I didn't really understand at the time that I was like making a web page, but later, like as I was making more and more sophisticated things and in, in, you know, page maker, um, I realized that I was actually starting to put together websites. The other thing that I learned really early on was um, Flash when it was still sort of Macromedia Flash. Mm -hmm. I remember being in the, the Flash forums on the internet before the days of social media where you had to go find a BB board um, to right. find people that like the things that you liked uh, and like downloading chunks of code that would, you know, here's how to make it so your animation goes to this point and then you can click a button and it'll loop the animation. So it's from making silly animations in Flash and then trying to make more and more sophisticated things in Flash over the years, uh, which is ultimately how I got into JavaScript because ActionScript in Flash 
is ECMAScript. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I didn't really understand that at the time, but when I sort of jumped from making things in Flash to making sort of more complicated things for the web, I realized like, oh, okay, this is almost action scripts. Like I, I mostly know what's going on here. Right. Uh, and so I sort of got the foundations for JavaScript that way. So what, what made you make the jump bet- between Flash and JavaScript? Because I know a number of people who have made that switch and they all kind of had different reasons for it. Um, I think, you know, I, I never really made the switch until Flash died. Right. And at that point, I was already at Facebook. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I never really considered myself a programmer until well into my, my career at Facebook. Um, I didn't go to school for computer science. I, I'm, I was entirely self-taught and only self-taught to the point where I could uh, just get something done that I was trying to get done. Mm-hmm. So I went to school for, for design and, and product design. And um, that was my, my first sort of role at Facebook was on the product design team. And uh, just because I had this built up knowledge of Flash over the years of kind of making things in Flash, it mm-hmm. turned out that I was actually the most proficient Flash engineer at the company. And Facebook had like a handful of sort of business critical Flash applications that I ended up actually contributing to quite a lot, even though um, I didn't have engineer as my title. So there's like a photo uploader built in Flash and like an ad management thing built in Flash and a couple other pieces built in Flash. Um, and, but everything else kind of terrified me. Like I was surrounded by real engineers who trained <laughs> in this thing and like knew what they were doing. And the only reason I was doing this Flash thing is because there's literally nobody else. And people were like, oh, you kind of know what you're doing. Can you, can you please help? Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until I was helping out for Facebook mobile. Um, and we were shifting from flip phones to touch phones. Mm-hmm. We we're working on this touch, touch phone, um, interface. So I was doing the design work for it. And, um, and I, I went to the, the, t- the engineering team with some mockups, um, of what like standard components should be, what are like the main view of newsfeed should look like. And they looked at it like, you know, this looks awesome, but you know, unfortunately, you know, some of these things can't be done on a phone. Um, so we're going to have to simplify. I was like, really? Are you sure? Um, all right, well, let me like circle back and reconsider some of these things. Uh, and I'll come back to you in a couple of days. So I went back and I was just like, I'm just going to make a prototype. So I put together, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I know how to do web pages. I know, uh, you know, enough basic JavaScript, like don't ship my code to production, but I can definitely build a prototype. I felt mm-hmm. comfortable doing that. And I showed up with my prototype and, uh, they were like, Oh, holy crap. <laughs> this works. Wow, look at this. Wow, this button feels really nice. Oh, whoa, look, you got the swiping thing. Oh, I had no idea this was possible. So, uh, you know, the engineers on the team weren't front-end engineers. They're mobile engineers. Mobile engineers at right. the time were trying to figure out how to, you know, squeeze a page into one kilobyte so it would load on a flip phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and figuring out all of these other extremely difficult things for mobile, but it didn't quite get to the point of, like, high-fidelity front-ends. So I I realized right at that moment that I needed to not just be the designer, but also sort of the front end engineer. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of half timing it on both design and engineering um, and ultimately sort of built up a team around me to help out. Uh, But that was sort of the moment where I really dove in. And uh, that was such an all consuming project that I sort of had to leave the other flash pieces aside, which was all for the best anyway, because flash was on its way out. Uh, And it was really just focusing on all all the front end for, for Facebook mobile, which was, a lot of JavaScript. I love it. I, I, I just, 
I don't know. I talked to a lot of people that seem to have made that transition. Yeah, essentially out of, well, I got this problem to solve. And so, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go learn how to solve it. And yeah, you applied what you knew, you learned what you had to, and yeah, you had a prototype that worked. Yeah, a question I get a lot from from students and, and folks who are new to programming is, like, what programming language should I learn first? And you know, JavaScript's a pretty compelling answer, but, you know, I've heard Python and Ruby. But the answer that I always give people is, like, back up and, like, what are you trying to yeah. build? Like, what problem are you solving? Or, like, what, what thing do you want as the output to have learned programming and done a thing? Because um, you could just be able to point at something, be like, I, I want to learn how that thing works and right. make a crappy version of it. And then that you back up and then you figure out, you know, what language to, to, to use. So, you know, I learned, I didn't decide like I should learn programming and then went and learned ActionScript because someone told me right. to go learn ActionScript. Like I was doing crappy animations in Flash and I was like, how do I make this a little bit more interactive? And right. that forced, like there was only one answer. It was ActionScript. Uh, and then yeah. when I was doing stuff on the web, like, well, there's really only one answer. It's JavaScript. And, uh, and the same, you know, I wanted to get something done at the back end on Facebook. It's not like I could pick my language. It was, you got to use PHP if you're doing back end stuff at Facebook. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, that's kind of, I just like stumble into these problems. I got to solve a problem. You get to figure out what, what tools at your disposal and then, and then learn it. And that's kind of how I ended up in JavaScript. I still one of my all time favorite languages. So. Awesome. So, you mentioned that you were around, you know, pretty early with React and some of the other technologies that have come out of Facebook. Uh, how did that come about then if you were working on sort of the mobile stuff with front-end tech and things like that? How did you wind up working on React? And at what point in React's life cycle did you join in there? So React has a really fun origin story, mm -hmm. uh, which is right at the moment where React started to get internal popularity at Facebook was at the same time that we had just put in a ton of energy into building our own JavaScript framework that was probably more similar to uh, Backbone and Ember than anything else. And we had a, got like some of the sharpest minds, people who had worked on frameworks in the past, people who had had years and years of experience building high quality JavaScript applications, but you know, right. building apps for the web is like super new. So mm -hmm. we're talking 2011, 2012. So right. there's like no such thing as someone who has 10 plus years of experience building web apps because just weren't that new, right? But we're just sort of at the tail end of, of um, having built out this framework that we're going to use internally for a bunch of things. And then here comes this guy out of our ads team who had faced this, pretty gnarly problem. Um, and he had had this like pet project for, for years of um, how he thought UI should be built in a totally different way. And people had mostly ignored him. And it was really like truly a pet project that he was working on all by himself. And so he faced this, the tricky problem that he faced was a, a type ahead with a lot of different live data sources. Right. So he had like four different APIs coming in. And if you've ever had to build a type ahead before, it sounds like, oh, there's maybe some tricky problems there, but I could get it done. And then you inevitably hit all of the super challenging problems. Like what happens when you want to integrate a local cache with a new value that comes over the network at the right. same time? Do you jitter the UI? Do you flush away what someone's already looking at? 
when someone starts typing rapidly, do you send out lots of network requests? Do you cancel right. existing ones? Do you like wait? And if so, how long do you wait? That has like impact. There's like so many things. And um, so kind of every version of this he built had some critical bug related to one of these like tricky areas or right. had bad performance uh, or, or something. So I decided like, you know what? I'm gonna take this like side project I've been working on forever and just see. Like, I think this could be an interesting candidate. So um, the core idea was every time anything changes, you just delete the UI and you redraw, right? Like direct mm -hmm. mode, like, like Doom engine right. style. Um, and so he put this together and it mostly worked. Like the performance was decent, uh, but the UI was always correct. And he was super excited about it and started talking to people. And you know, ultimately this is how things get done, right? It's like a, a bunch of people get excited and then that snowballs and then all of a sudden you have a project on your hands. And that's kind of right. what happened with React where, um, you know, this was Jordan Walk and Jordan mm -hmm. was uh, getting folks excited about this thing that he was working on. It was before we even had a, a name for the framework. Um, and all, there was a lot of internal opposition to it because, you know, we just finished building a framework. What were you gonna like, build another one now? Like when, when is right. it going to end? Um, and so there's a lot of ideas like, hey, this is a distraction. Uh, any, any effort put into this, we should really be putting in that effort into this thing that we've already put a ton of energy into. So there's a lot of like really crazy internal politicking around it, which was uh, made sense, but it was a little unfortunate in the long run. And I actually remember uh, an engineering manager came to me and said, hey, Lee, can you go talk to Jordan and hear him out, but just kind of maybe see if you can convince him to, to slow down, like to put this <laughs> together. And, uh, you know, I hadn't really like gotten the spiel yet. Like I, I was kind of like tangentially paying attention, um, but I hadn't really seen it in action yet. And, and I, w I was of the opinion that all frameworks were bad and you should just write code from scratch every time. So I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm all about it. Frameworks can die. I'll go convince this guy to stop what he's doing. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I hop in a meeting with him and I was like, I'm super curious. Like, can you show me what, what you made? And then I was going to hope to like collect evidence why this wasn't a very good idea and talk him out of it. Right. And he showed it to me and I was blown away. I was like, this is amazing. This program model is exactly what I want. There's no way it can. And then I like started on it, right? Like, okay, well, there's no way it can be fast, right? Like you're re redrawing every time. And he's like, oh, actually, uh, look, I'll, I'll show you like this performance thing that I set up. And he showed it to me and it's like, oh crap, this is faster than the thing that you're replacing. Um, and then just sort of like time and time again, it just like proved to me that it was the right thing. So I came out of that not having convinced him to stop it, but I actually went back to the engineering manager and I was like, you're totally wrong. Like you have to give this guy space to prove this idea out. Like I think he's right. on this thing. awesome. Um, and then at the time, what I was working on the very beginnings of GraphQL mm -hmm. and uh, we were working on this tool for GraphQL called Graphical which is a, an in-browser sort of way to play with queries. Right. And we had built a version of it that was kind of so-so. Um, it was very limited. And I thought it would be really interesting to use React to build a second version of Graphical. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I started playing with it. And that was, and this is how I end up contributing to a lot of projects is, you know, I, I pick up some library and I start using it. And then all of a sudden there's like a steady stream of outgoing pull requests to the GitHub okay. page or, or diffs out to Fabricator or whatever um, as I stumble on things that I want to improve. So the thing that, that frustrated me the most about React was 
I found it really hard to understand what was going on. There was a lot of terminology. There was a lot of like, you had to build an object in a particular way and put the functions in these places and you had to name them just right. And I kept getting it wrong and I would build it and then it wouldn't work right. I would debug it and realize I had had a typo somewhere mm-hmm. uh, or I'd like flip the words around. Right. And um, so, you know, I went to Jordan and I explained all this and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, the API could be better, but you know, if you have any actual suggestions, let me know. Um, otherwise, you know, leave me alone. Um, so I went back and I, I, I wrote this like crazy document that's, that categorized like every concept. I literally went through the whole code base and it was like, here are all the verbs we're using and here are all the nouns we're using. Here's all the nouns that actually refer to the same concept. Here's all the verbs that are useless that we don't actually ever call. Here's like the life cycle and how it makes sense and how it doesn't make sense. And then right. I came out with like a, a total proposal. I was like, I think that instead of these like nine nouns, we should have these four nouns. And instead of these like 14 verbs, we should have these three verbs. And like, here's how they combine together to describe like a life cycle that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that ended up becoming the, you know, component will mount, component did mount, should component update. Um, those, all those life cycle methods right. came out of that exercise. Um, so I, I had a couple other contributions, but I think the, the life cycle was the, the big one that I contributed there. But yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people see these technologies coming out of Facebook um, and don't really see necessarily how they're all connected because they kind of see them on the other side of the open source effort. But oftentimes these projects have multi-year histories before they open source, which was certainly true for React. It was an internal project for almost two years before it was open source. Kind of similar to GraphQL was a, mm-hmm. an internal project for over three years before it was open sourced. Hey guys, let me tell you about Clubhouse. I swear, I've used every project management software there is out there, and I hated project management software. Now I have Clubhouse. Overall, it's simple and straightforward to use, but it has enough of the integrations and power features you need to get the job done without getting confusing. This means that I can use it, and the non-technical members of my team can figure out what they need from it. It also makes it easy for me to zoom out and see what's going on overall before zooming back in and specifying more work that needs to be done or picking the next task for me to tackle. They integrate with all the systems that you'd expect and have a REST API for, well, the REST. If you go to https clubhouse.io slash jsstory, you can get two months free instead of the standard 14-day trial for any team size. Once again, that's https clubhouse.io slash jsstory. Um, now, we also had you on to talk about immutable JS, and I can't remember if that was something that you created or was, that was another technology that came out of Facebook. Do you want to kind of give a little bit of history there? Yeah, Immutable JS is a, a library that I created. Um, that one also has a, a really strange origin story. Um, most everything else that I have built that ended up having some amount of popularity was designed to solve a very specific problem. Mm-hmm. Right? React was there to solve that very specific UI right. problem and it expanded to cover more problems. GraphQL was there to solve a new speed API problem and expanded from there. Mm-hmm. And immutable JS was totally an academic exercise. Um, as I was mentioning before, you know, I'm, I'm totally self-taught. So the only way that I learn stuff is by building something. And right. one of my sort of favorite moments is when React was open sourced, we sort of drew together two very disparate communities of people. There was this whole community of front-end engineers, almost all JavaScripters. But mm-hmm. then React was drawing on a lot of these ideas from functional programming and immutability. And that really connected to the functional programming community and the closure community mm-hmm. specifically. 
Uh, and there were a couple people that started to bridge the gap. Um, David Nolan in particular built a wrapper around React called Ohm. Um, yep. And yeah, I remember hearing about it. Someone had, had seen it when, when that project went up and posted it um, in one of our internal Facebook groups. And um, I saw that it was like React, but faster. And I was like, wait, what? How could it be faster? Did they port it to ClojureScript and just, or to Clojure and just Clojure just happens to be faster? And uh, no, they didn't do that. It's actually a wrapper. It's for Clojure Script, and it's just, uh, you know, it literally calls out to the React code base. So I was like, well, if they're using React, how is it faster? And mm -hmm. I did some digging and I, I messaged David and sort of asked him some questions and watched a, a video of a, a tech talk that he had done. Um, and it turned out that the secret was um, should component update. So should component update was one of the methods that I added when I was working on this lifecycle stuff. Um, and so I was super excited that someone had taken that idea and pushed it to the extreme. We had decided that should component update should default to always update, right? So anytime anything mm -hmm. changes, you should always try to redraw because you don't ever know what changed. And David pointed out that when all of your data is immutable, then it's really easy to check cheaply whether or not something changed. And so you can leverage should component update to say compare the old props coming in with the new props coming in. And if they look like they're the same values, then they definitely are. And you can go ahead and keep what you previously drew and you don't right. have to draw something new. And, and then if that is your default state, and you do that for every component that you write, then the performance win comes where incremental changes as they happen, as you know, state accrues in your app, uh, just have much less stuff to draw on the screen. And even if, even though there's like multiple layers of indirection and that adds some overhead, then, then like net effect was this massive speed improvement. So I really wanted to understand better what was going on and um, understand how these immutable data structures actually succeeded at this performance trick. And so I was kind of sort of digging apart the closure source code, um, but I was super new to Lisp and I, I wasn't totally mm -hmm. sure I was understanding the Lisp code. And there's lots of very Lispy Lisp stuff in there of sort of oh, mutual sure. recursion yeah. and, and a lot of stuff that I, I, I wasn't sure I understood. So I decided that I, I should just try to build it. Um, and so I, you know, I, I knew JavaScript really well. And so I figured I would try to write it in JavaScript. So I had um, an immutable list and an immutable map and an immutable set. And I had built all these in JavaScript and I was just super excited about them. I mean, they're really cool data structures and they were unlike anything I had encountered before. So I was just kind of telling everybody that I bumped into because um, you know I'm a nerd. <laughs> it's like, look right. at this cool, cool thing I'm into. I want to tell you all about it. And you know, half the people would sort of roll their eyes like, sure, all right, whatever. This mm -hmm. is interesting, I guess. Uh, but I eventually encountered some people who were like, that's amazing. Like, can I use this thing that you made? And it, that was the first moment where I realized that, oh, right, I should probably look to see if anybody else has done what I just did. I, I didn't do it because I needed them. Then I would have gone looking for them. I, I did it because I wanted to write them so I understood. Right. So only then did I actually go look out at what was in the open source land and, and found nothing like it. Um, and so I, I put it out as an open source project. It picked up a very small following in the beginning. Uh, and then I, I did a, a talk at the very first React Conf mm -hmm. uh, about, it wasn't really so much about immutable JS in particular as it was about the idea of immutability in general and how to think about how immutability as a, a uh, whole program optimization technique can speed things up and, um, and how immutable JS is a particular library, but not the only one that lets you do that. 
Uh, and that ended up being sort of the inflection point for that library. It drew a, a huge audience. It's still to this day, that was, you know, like four or five years ago. And it's still mm -hmm. one of the hundred most popular projects on GitHub, um, which is totally crazy to me. And, and we're still working on new releases um, to this day. So it, it maintains itself as an important project. It, it's all, you know, it's, it's pretty cool because it's not like a, a brand new idea. You know, it's, it's a JavaScript implementation of ideas that date back to research from the nineties. Right. Um, so it, it's not like stuff's breaking and I got to change things and pack on new ideas all the time. It's that thing's just kind of getting refined and refined and refined over, over time. So I always thought that was pretty cool because, you know, there's only a, a small couple places within Facebook where that library is actually used. It's used far more outside of Facebook than it is within. Um, really, the only reason it ended up being a Facebook project is because I was working on at Facebook when I right. made it. Yeah. That's awesome. And I love, again, just the ideas behind experimentation and, you know, looking to to learn and grow. And yeah, it's just, you know, a lot of people think, they have to have some kind of computer science degree and, and, you know, and then, you know, go research for half their life to learn stuff. And I, I just love, it's like, Hey, I, I experimented with these ideas, started playing with them, wrote some code around them. And here we have something that people are using to make their apps better. Yeah. Most of the, I, I'm always kind of surprised, I, I, you know, that people assume that I have, not just a, a computer science degree, people assume that I have like a graduate degree or PhD or something. And it's a pretty common question when I, when I talk at conferences or when I go to conferences, uh, people just kind of assume anyone who would have built immutable JS is, you know, into esoteric data structures or, or built GraphQL would be into compilers and, and, you know, query language theory. It's like, actually I did those in the totally opposite order. Like I know mm -hmm. about, query language theory and I know about compiler theory because of GraphQL. Like I had to learn those things in order to make that a better project. I, I, I know about weird esoteric data structures because of React and Immutable.js, um, you know, working backwards from there, ended up learning about those things. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's just the way that I learn. You know, I, I, I see application before I see the sort of academics um, and and then I get excited about it and, and try to go make something. I love it. It's awesome. Um, what are you working on now? So right now I'm working on a lot of the web platform at Robinhood, um, which is really exciting because web is the newest platform at Robinhood. Um, yeah, because they're a the, mobile app, right? They started as a mobile app, yes. And uh, it, it's it's kind of the opposite of the path that, that Facebook took. I seem to always find myself um, with the, the underdog platform. Uh, you know, <laughs> Facebook started as a website and I, I spent some time on the website, but the vast majority of my time at Facebook, I was working on mobile, um, including the years where mobile definitely was not the focus of the company. And, um, you know, it very much is now, but I, when people ask me like, well, what, what did you do when you were a designer at Facebook? And I said, I was the designer for mobile. And they're like, what? That doesn't make sense. It's like, well, yeah, today, like every designer is a designer for mobile because mm -hmm. everything is mobile. But at the right. time, it was like a side project. Um, and we're in a kind of a, the exact opposite position now. It's, it's kind of nuts how, how dramatically it's flipped itself, where 
if you've started a company in the last four or five years, um, you're crazy if you build a website before you build a, a mobile app, right? For yeah. consumer products, at least. Um, and so Robinhood started as an iOS app and Android app came shortly after that and really stayed just as a mobile app for, for quite a long time. Uh, we launched the, the website about a year ago and the, the very first version of it was, I like to say, a scaled up port of our mobile app mm-hmm. in the, kind of the same way that the very first versions of, of mobile for Facebook was very much take a look at what's on the desktop website and see how much you can right. crush it down into a phone. Um, I'd say that the design problem in, in this new scenario is much easier. It's much easier to take something small and zoom it up to make it big than to take something big and kind of squish it into a right. small screen. Um, so the very, very first pass was, was just to make sure that we had something that was feature complete. But um, a lot of what I'm doing now is both the technology and the design around how to make Robinhood web sort of the best of its platform um, to really leverage all the things that web can do really well. Very cool. I'd, I'd love to talk through some of those challenges and just see what it takes. Cause it, yeah, a lot of the apps out there now are being developed mobile first and you know, even if they're web apps, it's, you know, they, they still, you know, you want to see what it looks like on your phone, not, <laughs> not on your desktop machine first. So yeah, I, I think that's a common scenario that a lot of people are going to be running into. Um, we're kind of running out of time. I don't want to take too much more than what we scheduled. Um, are, are there any lessons that you feel like people should learn after hearing you talk about your experience at Facebook and Robinhood? I think there's a couple things that have served me really well over the years. Um, one is to find overlap between disciplines or, or other sort of interests that seem like they might not necessarily line up. Mm-hmm. Um, a really early one was finding this overlap between design, product design, and engineering and building things, which right. I feel like t- today is maybe um, more appreciated that there are people who can do uh, to some degree both of those things. But certainly when I was starting out in, in my career, it was, it was not assumed that someone who was a designer could work on engineering work or vice versa. Um, and I found a lot, of, a lot of really fun problems in that space. Um, another one was to just like never be afraid to sort of start over and like throw out quote unquote best practices and, and see what works. Um, all of the things that I've been sort of most proud of in my career and all the things that I've watched um, happen uh, sort of tangential to my career are all cases where like the problem was technically solved, um, but maybe like not to the satisfaction of, of that person or maybe not in that particular circumstance. Mm-hmm. I remember like the early feedback for open sourcing React was really mixed and like predominantly negative. Um, and mostly around the idea that there were already solutions for this problem. And there was these like very well established like MVC and MVVM patterns. And this React thing was like called React, but it wasn't really reactive. There was also reactive programming and it wasn't that either. Mm-hmm. And like, here's this like thing from this like dumb company called Facebook uh, why, why should we like pay any attention to this? Um, and like now react is one of the most popular ways to build things. And in fact, if you're not using react, it's very likely that you're using something that's heavily inspired by react. Like it's, yeah. it's hard to, uh, it's hard to still be using something that doesn't have some amount of react influence. 
I think similar things can be said of GraphQL, which even to this day, I still get um, a lot of criticism around like GraphQL should have never been a thing. It should have just been an extension to Sparkle or REST or sort right. of, you know, there's a, a zillion and one solutions to the how to get data over the network problem. Uh, why do we need yet another thing? And yet like GraphQL is now pretty, pretty widely used. Um, so sort of every kind of moment where we've often, you know, both of those are kind of accidental. Um, it's not like I did deep research in all of the query languages. <laughs> right. And decided like, hmm, after a, you know, a thorough multi-month investigation, I've decided that these are all terrible. I'm going to start over. So really that like, I was just ignorant. Like I didn't know. Um, and I, I knew that the API that we had before wasn't going to work. And so I was just going to try something else. And if what I had built ended up being like, too close for comfort to something else that already existed, we would have just switched to that, but it, it ended up not being that way, you know, and the, right. the set of us that were working on GraphQL in the early days um, really kind of retroactively looked at other technologies and like, oh, actually what we built is pretty novel compared to these other pieces. Same could be said with React, you know, it wasn't that we took like a really focused view of everything else um, and only then decided to upend everything. Um, it was really kind of a unique entry into the problem domain because of a very specific problem and a lot of wacky ideas and then developing into something interesting. Um, and sort of the last thing I'll say about like things that have served me well is not being afraid to sort of take a step back and try a new thing. Um, whether that's, you know, pick, leaving your team for a different team or leaving your company for a different company. I think those are um, easy to relate to, but even sort of leaving a technology for a different technology, uh, or, or just sort of taking a moment to step back and like try a crazy idea. Um, so for example, with immutable JS, you know, it, it was fun to do that exercise of, of building out these data structures in, in JavaScript. But, you know, I think a, a rightful criticism I hear from a lot of people is like, where am I going to find time to do that? Like if I wanted to do something like that, like how, like I got a job, I got family, I've got, all kinds of other things going on in my life. Like, how do I make a new thing? And um, the answer is, it's like, it's not easy. It's, I, I was super lucky in that particular scenario to have had a manager who recognized that um, I, at that point I had been at Facebook for something like six years and I had just left a particularly challenging project that had left me pretty demoralized. Um, and I wasn't really sure if I wanted to stay at Facebook or try something else. And, uh, you know, I had a pretty honest conversation with him about that. And he said, you know, I think you should feel free to take a little bit of time to do whatever the hell makes you happy. Even if that's like, he was like, he told me, even if it was a Sudoku solver, he'd be totally comfortable if I spent three months building a Sudoku solver. So like, it doesn't matter. Just go like do something interesting. And I don't, and I'm not going to bother you. And at the time I was like, all right, that's kind of cool. You know, maybe I'll find another team to work on, but like at least the kind of pressure's off. Um, and that was the window of time where Immutable JS came to be. Like that's when I was digging into some of these ideas around why, what makes React fast. And it's, it gave me space to go dig into Clojure and talk to, to David and, mm -hmm. and, and figure that stuff out. Um, and there've been just a couple moments in my career that have been like that, where I've been given space and amazing things have happened every time. And, you know, I think if to, to translate that to advice um, 
or something to keep in mind. It's, you know, it's pretty hard to say like, all right, I'm going to go convince my, my manager to give me space, but maybe like if you are a manager or if you have a team of people to just like acknowledge that that's a tool in your tool belt that can often have really dramatic positive effect if applied to the right people at the right time. Like really when I was trusted to go try a crazy idea and uh, given leeway to, to fail and being told that failure is okay. Uh, those are the moments where I did my best work. And, uh, and that's like a, a lesson that I've learned in, in times when I've managed teams. Cool. Very cool. I, I agree with all of that. And I don't really think that I have anything to add. I mean, yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and do some picks then. Do you have some things you want to shout out about on the show? Things I want to shout out. Um, you know, a lot of what I've been reading about lately, sort of a, a crazy, crazy side projects. I've been doing some hardware hacking. I've been getting into Arduinos. Um, I did a little bit of Arduino hacking in, in school, um, you know, like 11 or 12 years ago. Um, and things have changed so much since then. And, it, and it's kind of nuts, like just getting back into it. So I've been learning a lot about ARM Cortex processors. So mm-hmm. my pick is for, ARM Cortex M4 processors. It's just totally nuts to me that you can buy a processor for $2. That's like more powerful than the original iPhone. Um, and, <laughs> I know, right? Uh, and that, that just like totally blows my mind and just like barely sips power of a tiny battery. So, I, you know, I, I, the Arduino revolution kind of like started up a long time ago. Um, I think a lot of people paid attention, started hacking together interesting things and, and then maybe stopped when they found the limitations of what, platform could really do it's totally different now man between like raspberry Pis and and cortex arduinos like these things are nuts they're they're more powerful than than computers we had 10 years ago um and slurp up like you know teeny tiny amounts of power so i've been building lighting fixtures and and crazy stuff with that and and it's been a ton of fun so yeah more hardware hacking that sounds like a ton of fun i've been looking at starting an iot show we just haven't gotten around to it yet. So um, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. Um, one of the picks I have is, and this is kind of where I go when I want to try something new. Um, I, I enjoy cooking, baking, uh, things like that. And uh, allrecipes.com has all kinds of interesting stuff. Um, and so I'm going to pick them. Their app is also pretty nice. I believe I am paying for a subscription with them. And so what that enables you to do is you can put in your um, like you can find a recipe and you can say add all the ingredients to my shopping list. And then what I do is I go shop my pantry and check off all the ones I already have. And then I'll go to the store and get everything else. Or the other one, I guess I'm going to pick is um, you can go on walmart.com and basically order your groceries and then set up a time to drive up and have somebody put them in your car. So if, if you're feeling particularly lazy you can do that. My wife's actually had groceries delivered to our house a couple times, so you can do that as well. But yeah, um, we're big on the grocery delivery game. We just had a, a kid recently, and so that's really limited our time yeah. to go out to the grocery store and things like that. So, um, grocery delivery is a total game changer. Yeah, I get that. And sometimes we're just busy. I mean, I have five kids. We just got a lot going on, and it's you know, it's like yeah, just bring it to the house. We'll be home around this time to this time, and yeah. Works out good. Good deal. Well, um, if people want to find you online, where do they go, Lee? 
Um, you can always find me I'm at leebyron.com, sort of lists out a, a plethora of contact info. Um, I'm decently active on Twitter at leeb, and most of my work is on GitHub. So you can find me at github slash leebyron. Those are my, my usual haunts. Awesome. And one correction I need to throw out there. Um, I listed episode 231. That was on Ruby Rogues, not JavaScript Jabber. So um, still people can go check it out. We talked about GraphQL. So, all right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming, Lee. Absolutely. My pleasure. All right, folks. We will be back next week with another story. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.